Welcome to MedTech Talk, a weekly sit down with the innovators, investors, and executives leading the MedTech sector. Now, here's your host, Tom Salemi. Hi, welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. My name is Tom Salemi, and I'm your host. We're one month away from the MedTech Investing Conference. Uh, that'll take place on May 6th in Minneapolis. Please go to medtechconference.com for information about registration and to review our agenda. On that agenda, you'll see the details of our investor panel, and you'll notice that it's heavy on international investors this year. That's because we're seeing an increase of uh, investors from outside the U.S. looking for deals, medtech deals, inside the U.S. So we'll discuss that uh, at the panel. Dennis War, our co-chair, will moderate that, and no doubt he'll do a great job. Today we're going to touch upon that subject, but with uh, an entity that's not on our panel, but, uh, but that's because they've been busy. Uh, Vivo Capital just closed on its eighth fund, and it raised $750 million. Um, Vivo is an interesting group in that it uh, started off as a U.S.-based investor, investing uh, dollars from Chinese investors. That was 20 years ago. Today, uh, Vivo has built a real balanced uh, approach to investing both in U.S. and China's healthcare market. And they're doing so in a way that encourages um, cooperation between medtech companies here and the healthcare market in China. And conversely, they're starting to find Chinese investors who uh, are looking for deals, uh, opportunities to invest in U.S. medtech companies. So Vivo brings a a great uh, point of view to this uh, issue or this opportunity of international investors investing in the U.S. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Chen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tom. Great. We, we've been uh, talking for several years now, and it's, uh, I've always enjoyed our conversations. And, and Vivo always seems to, to find something interesting to, to write about or, or do something interesting to write about. And your, your latest news, of course, is the, the raising of your eighth fund, uh, $750 million, gives you 1.7 billion under management, so it's it's hard to uh, comp- contemplate that someone might not know who Vivo Capital is. But for the sake of our listeners, uh, let's give a little background. I, I, I suspect people might think that Vivo came on the scene just a few years ago when when things really started to heat out heat up rather uh, in China and China's healthcare economy and, and a lot of interest in the U.S. medtech going that direction. But but Vivo actually has a longer history than that. It's been going on for close to 20, close to 20 years. Yeah, that's right. So uh, the irony is our, our history has been a bit of a full circle. So we started in 1997, as you pointed out, um, and the original name of our fund was called BioAsia. And the reason for that was, ironically, we had an initial LP base primarily from Southeast Asia um, because these institutions wanted to get a view onto U.S. healthcare. And at the time, we thought there might be some, if you want to call it, bridging opportunities between U.S. and Asia-based companies. But we were, frankly, just a little bit ahead of our time. And so those first funds were essentially all invested entirely in North America. So with that, uh, we changed our name in 2005 in our fifth fund to Vivo, which is how most folks know us today. Uh, and it was actually, ironically enough, at that time that we began to recognize that the China opportunities were actually maturing and becoming interesting. So um, when we changed our name from BioAge to Vivo, it was actually the same time we began our direct investment experience in, in China. 
And so we opened up an office in Shanghai, in Beijing, ultimately about a year or two ago, as well as an office in Chengdu. So we have a full investment staff now in China. So if you fast forward from 2005 till, as you point out today, with our most recent close of Fund 8, now our fund is about 50-50 deployed between the U.S. and China. So you know we really have kind of come full circle from our original roots. What what dictates、uh, where the capital goes? If you're, you're spanning the Pacific, you're investing on, on two continents. You've got a lot of money to invest. I suspect that、uh, that you're you're seeing every opportunity that's worth to see.、Um, how do you make a decision as to where the the capital will go on either continent? Do you look at macroeconomic issues and, and invest based on that? Is or it still even at this global still global scale still a, a company to company measure? You know, to be honest, I think it's still the latter. That is, we're opportunistic, and if we see an interesting opportunity in either region, we'd like to do it. You know, for us, the 50/50 is really more of a guidepost. It's not a you know line in the sand. And I think, to the extent that we see greater opportunities in one region or the other, we'll we'll take it. I would say, if you look at the markets broadly, the U.S. market is actually、um, pretty attractive. You know, you've got valuations which I think are still fairly reasonable. But the exit slash liquidity environment has improved dramatically, and I think if you look at the Chinese market as a contrast,、um, there the market's actually a little bit tougher in the sense that you've got a ton of equity capital that's moved in, so the competition for deals is intense, and so valuations have frankly increased dramatically. And at the same time, on the exit liquidity front, you know you have a little bit more of a challenge. You know the IPO market in China was effectively frozen for about three years. Uh, and I think M&A is just you know a little bit of a higher bar there、um, because、uh, multinationals have a couple of extra check boxes that they have to, to check off before they can do a deal. So you know, it, interestingly enough, I would say right now the U.S. market is, is of all markets, I think for us at least, looking like the most attractive. Well, that, that creates then an imp- interesting opportunity for medtech companies, I would think, if there's capital over there that's. Uh, operating with、uh, in, a, in a market where there's high valuations, and this is a more attractive、uh, investment opportunity for you. Is it also a, a more attractive investment opportunity for、uh, other firms with、uh, with China ties? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, know, you and I have talked about this over the last year or so, and this is an emerging trend that you know, frankly, has been a bit of a surprise to us, which is just as you said, given the highly competitive environment in China. Uh, these funds look at U.S. companies and say, "Gosh, these are, are cheap relative to what we see in China." And so we have begun to see a lot of Chinese-based firms doing direct investments in the U.S.、Um, so there are many companies: Mitraline, Centra Heart, Zipline.、Um, there's, a, there's a long list, actually, of companies that I've seen in the last six months that have raised money from Chinese institutions. And I think,、uh, as we look at the U.S. funding environment, we know that it's obviously challenging here,、uh, particularly in medtech. And I've encouraged really all of our companies now to begin thinking that, you know, if they're going to go out and do a financing, they should seriously think about how to position themselves for a fundraise in China. Well, how how does one do that? Is it a matter of just booking some plane tickets and getting out there, or do you have to? Does your company have to have some qualities that uh, that uh, will be interesting to、uh, to Chinese investors? So I think it, it's definitely the latter. I think you have to do some positioning of your company. So, for example. You know, if you're a pure U.S. play and you have no interest in even exploring the Chinese market, you know those are not going to be companies that are going to you know, have a hook, so to speak, to get into the door.、Um, but I think if you have a thought of you know what is going to be our long-term China strategy, does it 
uh, mean we want to go out there and get our device approved in that market? Do we want to partner it with a distribution partner? I think if you can articulate a credible story for how you'd eventually get into the Chinese market, even if it's frankly far in the distant future, I think that's enough to make it interesting. You know, the Chinese firms are looking for some China angle um, and, a, and, a, and a rationale to look. But I think in the end, they're actually quite flexible. What I've seen is that they're willing to invest in a pure U.S. story so long as there's at least some kind of hope that they can kind of justify um, an evaluation of the company. And how difficult is it to, to develop that hook? You, you mentioned you could have a long-term plan. Um, does it, can it be just a, a plan written on a piece of paper, or uh, does it require some more infrastructure and something practical that, that uh, investors can see and, and, and measure? Uh, that will eventually help a company get into the, the China market? So just to give you a, maybe a tangible example, um, CentraHeart uh, is a company in our own portfolio, which is in the left atrial appendage closure space. And when we did our last round, we basically uh, attracted two Asia-based investors uh, called Pavilion and Duchang Capital. And these folks um, basically, as part of their uh, investment in the company, requested that the company would at least begin the registration process for our product in China. Now, in this particular case, you know, both ourselves and the new investors had a lot of experience there. And so we've been able to effectively use folks that we know essentially as regulatory agents to help us get the product registered. Um, but ultimately, when we want to commercialize, you know, we'll, we'll decide on whether we want to do it ourselves or work with a, another partner. Um, so in that case, there's a tangible link to the financing to, you know, a commitment by the company to get their product registered in China. Um, but you'll, you'll, you'll see other uh, examples where um, instead of a requirement for registration, it could actually just be, for example, an investment in return for distribution rights in China. Entering the China market has, uh, has uh, been on the minds of, of MedTech CEOs, and, and it has a lot of appeal in, in, uh, in just saying it. But but do you need to have uh, Vivo Ventures or a, a contact over there to, to really make it work? Uh, how challenging of a market is entering China to a company that may just be, you know, 20 people in, in Minneapolis or, or 50 people in Boston? Sure. So, you know, this is probably a little bit self-serving. Obviously, I think part of our pitch and value add to U.S. companies is to help them navigate what you point out is, is frankly, a pretty complicated market. Um, there are definitely ways to um, to make the wrong step in China, and, and I think the stakes are increasingly higher when you make those mistakes. So I think going with someone who has experience in China is clearly a, a positive. Uh, that being said, I don't think you know it's necessarily the only path. There are now, I'd say, a few folks uh, who are, I'd say, you know, Western-based consultants who have, have set up shop in China and I think are really able to provide at least some services in terms of helping companies get registered there. I would still say that if you're looking for a distribution partner and kind of framing out a commercial strategy, you know, having someone like us or other, you know, well-known kind of international funds, I think is an important piece of doing that right. Um, but I think, you know, from the, for the first couple steps of getting your product approved, I think today there are more options than there were just a couple of years ago. Great. That's, uh, that's great advice. We'll be right back after this message. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, visit MedTechConference.com. While you're in Minneapolis, plan to attend our inaugural Payer Provider Ventures Summit, a first-of-its-kind meeting targeting the hospitals and insurance companies leading healthcare reform. Go to PPVSummit.com. 
And we're back. Let's uh, let's talk a bit about the fund. Uh, it's obviously uh, a very healthy size fund, seven hundred fifty million dollars. How much did you initially set out to raise? So our initial target was six hundred million, uh, but we did set a hard cap in seven fifty. And I think we're fortunate enough that we had a good enough, you know, I think insider support from our existing LPs as well as new folks to come and to kind of get to our you know, hard cap and beyond. You know, I think obviously for us the biggest challenge was helping folks get comfortable with the fund size jump. So our last fund, which was Fund 7, was for $375 million. So this was essentially a doubling of our asset base. And I know that, you know, many folks in our industry know that that's been a – a leap in fund size that has been problematic for some. And I think for us, our view is that, you know, given the fact that we are uh, operating effectively in two very large markets, the U.S. and China, you know, you can kind of look at us as two $375 million funds. And that's a very kind of reasonable sized fund uh, in each geography that really allows us to do effectively what we've been always doing, which is in the U.S. late stage venture deals and in China early stage growth. And did you bring you brought in an interesting uh, limited partner, strategic investor in this fund? Correct. That's right. So for the first time, we actually uh, uh, brought in J and J as a strategic investor, and I think you know this was a great validation of our you know quote unquote bridge strategy approach, whereby we were really kind of linking uh, the you know, technology and know-how and sector expertise of folks here in the U.S. and in Europe and connecting it with the market opportunity, manufacturing capability in China. And I think J&J saw our efforts there, and, and, and I think we've had a good track record in China, and felt like for them to get exposure in that market, they wanted to, to work with a fund to do that. And I think we were just fortunate enough that they chose us. You mentioned you're looking for early-stage opportunities in China. Uh, what, give me a, a sense of, of what sort of your company you're looking for. I mean, China, China Kangwai was a, a success for you. It, it went public in 2010. Medtronic uh, paid $800 million for it. Uh, a couple of years later, uh, it was a, 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 seemed to be a, a fully developed company. But did it, did it, was it an early-stage company when you started, and, and uh, are there – other uh, companies of that uh, type that uh, that you're seeing that are looking for investment in China. Yeah, so I should I should probably define it more precisely in the sense that I think when I talk about early stage growth in China, these are still revenue generating companies. So at least today, we tend not to invest in I say pre commercial companies in China, and the main reason for that is just that um, again in that market where you've got such incredible valuation pressure. Um, you end up paying fairly high prices for early-stage companies. And so for us, the risk-reward profile has just been better in kind of that early-stage growth sweet spot. So these are companies that are doing what's called less than $15 million in revenue, where we believe we can take that company from that level to what's called $50 million plus. So that's really has been our sweet spot to, uh, to date. I would say you're seeing a, a, a kind of a constant change in the Chinese market, uh, and I think we are beginning to see earlier stage companies emerge that are actually kind of interesting. So, you know, if you look at Shanghai in particular, you've got a lot of these great, you know, kind of government set up um, uh, zones for entrepreneurs. So they give uh, land grants, sometimes even financial grants for early stage companies to set up shop. And again, because of the robust funding environment, whereas I think in the U.S., early stage medical device investing is really tough. In China, I'd say it's flourishing. So for that reason, I expect over the next three to five years to begin to see, you know, quote-unquote, more innovative young companies in China. 
And what about in other countries uh, in Asia? Are you looking there as well? You know, we really haven't. You know, Japan is its own kind of mature market with its own quirks. And I think when you get to the rest of Southeast Asia, uh, while I think we, we think there is real opportunity there, when you compare the scale of the, uh, the opportunity in China, it's just different. And I think for us, we feel like focus in that region kind of has, has differential benefit. So I think for now, we've decided to exclusively focus on China. And how long do you think it'll take to uh, to put this capital to work? And, and what what surprises do you anticipate coming in this fund? I mean, it's been, these markets have been developing, uh, both the U.S. And, and China. We're seeing some different business models. Do you expect that you'll be investing in uh, a different kind of company, one or two different kind of companies with, with this fund? So it's a great question. I would say I would anticipate that for the majority of our deals, they'll be very similar uh, in size and scope to our kind of current deals. But I would say that we are likely to do one or two deals that are a little bit uh, different, likely to be larger, um, kind of bigger plays, higher conviction plays, um, because I think that's some, an opportunity that we are certainly seeing as, a, again, an emerging opportunity. So, for example, the privatization of state-owned enterprises. Many of these are the largest kind of crown jewel life science companies in China. And they have been interested in approaching us and working with them to spin out some of these companies in combination with some U.S.-based assets that we've brought over. So, again, if you want to call it almost like bridge strategy 2.0 for us, it's something that I think is emerging as a very interesting opportunity for us in this next fund. I think in terms of surprises, I would say, gosh, you know, in our business, I feel like there, there's always, uh, you know, unexpected turns ahead, particularly when you invest in China. Um, but I would say that, that our expectation is that, um, the Chinese market is going to become increasingly challenging for, for investors. You know, you've got uh, an explosion of equity capital, and that's always a tougher environment in which to operate. So I think you know, we are going to be, have to be very nimble to figure out and make sure that we stay ahead of the curve to make sure that we do deals with appropriate discipline uh, so that we can get the right level of investor return. Um, I think in the U.S., the question really is going to be, you know, are we in a long kind of, you know, kind of fundamental shift in terms of risk appetite and medical devices? And, or is the kind of wave of positive news and, and uplift that we've seen in the drug side of our business, is it going to translate over to the medical device side? Um, I think that's going to be very important because, again, as we look at the funding environment in the U.S., um, it's, it remains challenging for medical devices. And so I think for us, you know, we're very invested in figuring out how do we make sure that the ecosystem kind of recovers in, in medical devices. Fantastic. Well, it, it's exciting to see uh, a life sciences fund have such great success uh, in fundraising and, and, and in exits as well. I uh, appreciate your taking the time today to talk about uh, Vivo's next fund. Great. Thank you for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chen Yu, for joining us today on MedTech Talks. It was a pleasure to speak with you, as it always is. Uh, tune in next week. We'll have another uh, tale from MedTech. And, of course, uh, join us on May 6th in Minneapolis at the MedTech Investing Conference. Go to medtechconference.com for more information and to register. And then we'll see you in Minneapolis. Join the innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors who are changing healthcare at MedTech Investing Conference on May 6th in Minneapolis. The premier event in MedTech Investing will bring together the industry's investors, entrepreneurs, strategics, and regulatory professionals in one of the country's richest MedTech communities, Minneapolis. 
This must-attend conference will leave attendees with the insights and connections necessary to find their own sure path to success. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, go to www.medtechconference.com.